Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Happy weekend to you. It is a full football weekend for you as well. And this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of the football season. We're going to get you set for the Badgers game on Saturday and then the Packers game on Sunday. Now that, of course, the NFL season is finally upon us. As always, you can hit us up on our socials. You can find us at Doug Russell Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. You can hit me up on uh, email if you'd like to. Uh, DougRussellPod at gmail.com. You can also search for us on Facebook and on YouTube as well. For everything that we do, all of our back uh, episodes as well, uh, feel free to find the show at www.DougRussellPod.com. We're going to start with Badgers, move on to Packers. Earlier this week, I had a chance to catch up with Wisconsin State Journal Badgers beat reporter Colton Bartholomew. So when you dissect what took place on Saturday, I mean, where do you start? Do you start with the offensive line? Do you start with Graham Mertz? Do you start with the the chunk plays given up by the defense? How do you deconstruct a six-point loss in a game that was, I think everyone would agree, extremely winnable? Yeah, I think you have to start with the, the red zone issues that Graham Mertz had. And I even throw out that interception. You know, obviously it's not a, not a great play, and he, he stuck with his first read, and that was a consistent issue that he has throughout the day. Um, but I think just the, the fumbles and then the miss, the, the false start on the center uh, on their first red zone drive, just stuff like that where the Badgers have just been so automatic, especially up front uh, in the red zone. It was so uncharacteristic, and – uh, and that's really what happens when you leave the door open for a good team like Penn State like that. They're going to kick it down. They're going to beat you. And, you know, I, that's really where I kind of start and finish, honestly, because I thought for what the Badgers defense did in the first half, like I, I just think I know the chunk plays happened in the second half, but the, I, I was saying this to Jim Polzina, our columnist the other day. I don't think that Penn State's going to score less than 21, 25 points the rest of the season. That's what I'm including the Ohio State game. Like, that offense is going to be potent all year long. So holding the 16s, I think a pretty impressive accomplishment. And I think we're going to appreciate that more as the season goes on. So for me, it really kind of starts and ends with when you get in the red zone, and especially the way the Badgers did it, grinding down the field, really picking up good plays on the ground and really kind of controlling the line for a lot of between the twenties to, to then get the red zone, shoot yourselves in the foot with those turnovers and the, the procedure penalties. That's the stuff that just kills you in a big game. How much damage did Graham Mertz do to, I guess, the aura of this quarterback who, coming into Wisconsin, this was a kid that it seemed like every Blue Blood program in America was after him. He has a bad game. Jack Cohn, who I guess could have been the starter, although, you know, if you ask Badgers fans, who would you rather have, Mertz or Cohn? I think everyone would have said Mertz, but then Cohn goes to Notre Dame and has the game that he had against Florida State. I mean, what's the mindset of Graham Mertz? after Saturday, trying to regroup for the rest of the season? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think Graham Mertz will be the first guy to tell you that he that was probably his worst game as a college quarterback. You know, we saw him struggle last year against, let's say, like Northwestern, but that was a veteran defense that had a couple of All-Americans in that secondary. You know, I think this Penn State defense is pretty good, but the, the way that he just kind of gave some things away, the throws he didn't make, the one that sticks out, obviously, is on that last drive where, Kimmeray DK came open across the middle and had a touchdown had the ball been where it needed to be. I, I think the the thing for him to, to refocus and kind of bounce back here is knowing like that's honestly, I think that's the floor for him, right? Like I don't think he could play worse in, in a sense of 
staring down his first read and not really kind of being comfortable in the pocket and letting things happen. And you can attribute that to being the first game. You know, it's only his ace college start. I know he's been in, in college for three years, so we'd like to see him look better than he did. But it's only his ace college start. And I still think there's still a lot of upside, but it's got to start showing up fast here because, like you said, with Cone leaving and the decisions that were made by the Badgers team, like they put a lot of faith in Graham Mertz. And I don't think it's a question of him preparing or the work that he puts in. It's just got to start translating to the field more for him. Is there any clarity to you guys yet why Jalen Berger didn't play on Saturday? Not entirely. I would say, you know, it's it's in part, I do think that they liked what Ches Malusi was doing. And uh, I do believe Paul Chris, when he says like, you know, when the guy's playing well, like Ches was, you don't want to take him out too often, but it did seem strange why Jalen Berger didn't get at least a few reps. And then honestly, when you kind of watch him on the sideline, wasn't always around Gary Brown, the running backs coach, which is usually where, you know, the reserves would be kind of waiting for their turn to go in and a couple offensive series didn't even have his helmet with them. So it does seem like something else was up, but there hasn't been a ton of clarity and, you know, trying to dig into it, kind of running some dead ends. So uh, I, I don't have a great answer for it. I don't think it's going to be the same this weekend because I think they would have had to say something uh, if it was going to be the same way. So I think we're going to see Jalen Berger get his first action this year, but it's definitely one of those annoying things as a reporter where you just keep running <laughs> into a wall and not getting anything on it. But it's it's definitely something I think is going to change come Saturday. I mean, there was a thought earlier in the preseason that, you know, who was going to be the starting tailback? Berger, Chesma Lucy, those are the two names that were being bandied about. How, and look, I'm watching Saturday's game, and I think Chesma Lucy, there were a couple of runs that he had where I thought that he was just one step away from maybe breaking one, and we've seen his speed when yep. he was at Clemson. How entrenched, in your opinion, is Malusi as the feature tailback on this team? It's a great question. I think, you know, he has to he has to create cover one one or two of those plays a game. I think you know to I would say cement himself as a starter. I do know that the coaches loved how Maluzi came in right away and was you know instantly the leader of that running back room, being the most experienced guy. And you know he's only 19 when he got here, but it was almost like he was the oldest the way they kind of carried himself and the way that he he started taking over the the running back portion of the room. And I think what they really liked about him was the vision that he has in the backfield. And I think you saw that uh, on Saturday because there was sometimes it was a delayed handoff or sometimes, you know, he would be kind of slow getting to the line. And when he saw his whole front turn on the jets and kind of went for it, those are the, the most productive run plays that they had. And that, that also coincides with the, the offensive line getting up to the second level and opening some of those holes. But I think that there's going to be room for, for both of these guys, you know, and, Clearly, the way that Isaac Rendo, the the power that he runs with, that's going to be a factor in there too. I, I'm I wouldn't say that Ches Maluzzi is going to be the the lead guy throughout the whole year. I just think that's tough to say when we haven't seen it before over a 12, 13 game schedule. Um, but I would say that there's going to be a little bit more of a split going forward once Jalen Berger gets up to speed here. Now, as far as Malusi, obviously he comes from Clemson, and that's one of the storylines that's been fascinating me about this Badgers team because, look, the the Badgers are competing every year for the Western Division Championship in the Big Ten Conference. Not a bad thing to compete for every year. Ches Malusi comes from a place where they compete for national championships. Does that rub off, and can that rub off on not only the running backs room but the rest of the offense and the whole team for that matter? Yeah, Wisconsin's certainly hoping so. I know that's something that they really liked about Chez 
uh, and his personality and kind of his makeup as a football player when they were recruiting him as a transfer was that experience and that knowledge of what it takes. And that's something that we've heard from Gary Brown and Paul Chris throughout training camp is that something that Chaz brought to the room, like kind of that knowledge, like anytime somebody wasn't working hard enough or wasn't putting in the hours in the film room, like he can just say like, Hey man, that's not how you get to national championship level. That's not how you get to the playoff. And you're right. I think Wisconsin has at times kind of thought or had this idea that, Hey, let's get to the big 10 championship game and then see what happens where Malusi's coming in and saying like, we, we kind of expect to be there. It's not just, you know, hoping that to get there. Right. So uh, I think that that's uh, an intended goal of having Malusi around is getting that mentality of, you know, setting the, the standards and the, the workouts and at practice and other things that they need to do to elevate this program. And obviously it gets off to a tough start week one where you have those mistakes and, you know, lose a game that would have really helped obviously your resume when you go forward like that. But the fact that it happened early is also a good thing too, because then you've got this time, you win enough of these games. And I think, you know, without this, with losing Penn state game, I think the Iowa and the Notre Dame game now become pretty much must wins. If you're trying to get to a big bowl or keep your, your playoff hopes alive. So I think there's, there's still time, but that's definitely something they want Malusi to kind of set the tone for on this team. Colton Bartholomew, uh, Badgers football beat reporter for the Wisconsin State Journal. You can also catch him online at madison.com as well. Joining us here, uh, Leo Chanel is out. Mike Mascalunas is in. And you look at his resume, and it's all Big Ten, all Big Ten, all like four years of all. It's all academic Big right. Ten for Mike Mascalunas. What does he bring on the field? Yeah, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm going to be covering in a story coming out on Friday um, on com and really it's, it's a leadership and it's a, a quiet leadership because one of the things that's impressive about Mike is that his pretty much whole career, he, he's played here and there on defense, you know, every once in a while has to step up when somebody has had an injury, but his whole career has been on special teams and it's all four phases. Like his whole career, he's been a four phase special team guy. And that really earned him a lot of respect. And not only that really exposed him to, guys across the team, like different linemen, different guys on offense, defense, playing with everybody on the whole team on special teams. And that kind of established him as a leader. And it's interesting and kind of cool to listen to his teammates talk about him because they just root for him. You know, when when he was out there making some plays against Penn State, like you could just tell the excitement there was for Mike in particular because this is a guy that stayed for a sixth year, took advantage of that COVID year to come back, give one more year, try to have the best season he could. And then, obviously, unfortunate circumstance, but gets his opportunity to start and makes the most of it. So, uh, definitely a cool story. And, you know, if he plays as well as he did against Penn State, because you look at what he did, there was really no room between the tackles for Penn State to run. That's, you know, a group effort up front, but he was a big part of it. If he plays like that again, I, I would not be surprised if he gets a little bit more defensive snaps once Chanel comes back. Because, you know, as we figured out last year with, with football and especially the Badgers, you don't know how long it's going to take somebody to recover after they get COVID. So yeah. I definitely think he's playing his way in more time as the season goes on. Badgers beat writer Colton Bartholomew on the Badgers game uh, that took place last week against the Penn State Nittany Lions, a 16-10 to defeat, a game that was very, very winnable. I also had a chance to catch up with NBC 15 sports director Mike Jocko-Jocks and asked him about uh, a number of Badgers-related issues as well, including the quarterback play. 
two schools of thought on Graham Mertz. The first school of thought is, hey, look, he's 20. This was, what, his eighth career start. Uh, he's going to get it. You just have to give him some time. Last year was, you know, they were the highest of highs with that first game against Illinois. Then he caught COVID and was just never the same. He's still knocking some rust off. He'll be fine. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is, hey, look, this is his third year on campus. It's put up or shut up time. Where are you with Graham Mertz? I think, I think I'm somewhere in the middle, but, but leaning more toward um, giving him some time. I think that, you know, last year we're just, you know, obviously his first year on campus, you know, he's just kind of learning the lay of the land. Uh, and second year was just how you explained it. I mean, he, he has that great game against Illinois, a, a game that I was at at the camp with, like, other people and that was about it uh it's still i still think about that game and just you know uh there's a chill in the air and but no fans and then they you know um you know mike menke the public address announcer is trying to pump up the the cardboard cutouts and um i actually had to leave at halftime to get back to the station and it was just weird like there's nobody near you know a mile of Camp Randall Stadium, you walk out of a Big Ten game and there's nobody within, you know, nobody within shouting distance of, uh, of that venue. But, uh, but I, I still think that, you know, he played so well against Illinois and, you know, there were flashes of greatness and then, yeah, and then he got sick. And then I, I, I still think that he was, you know, I know he had some surgery after the off season. Um, you know, he wasn't playing at a hundred percent even when he came back and even when he dropped the trophy, the, you know, the Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy, um, which made him, um, I would say, Instagram famous and TikTok famous and all that stuff. The time, um, and as the time-honored Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy. Oh, my God. Trophy. I still think about, there's two things I take away from that game was that, um, you know, like, nobody with, you know, nobody would have talked about the game had Graham Mertz not dropped that trophy. You know, like, maybe, you know, uh, besides the Wisconsin stations, but I mean, like outside of that, you know, um, ESPN would have like <laughs> said blue about it. You know, they might have showed one highlight from the game, but you know, when when he dropped the trophy, I mean, that was like you know that was a week's worth of material <laughs> for for a lot of people. And then um, then Graham Mertz at media day this year, um, a young reporter asked him, um, you know, would you you know what would you do to get or you know like do you ever want to be TikTok famous or have you ever been? And, and he like actually asked one of the um, PR people, the media people from UW, "Hey, um, have I ever been?" And they're like, "He said, have I ever been TikTok famous or Instagram?" And he's like, "They're like, um, they had to remind him uh, you dropped the trophy." Oh, that's right. That's right. So, <laughs> well, must have been memorable for like, him. I, I was like, "Dude, for real?" And he goes, "Well, I kind of forgot." Okay. So maybe maybe there's some, maybe there's some issues up there, but um, but no, I I, I think that. Going back to to the question, you know, twenty minutes ago, that uh, <laughs> you know, I I think that um, there is so much potential, and I, I still think that we haven't seen the best from him. Yeah, I'd like him to hurry up and find that because you know, like we're you know, it's now getting to be you know nine games or whatever it is that he's played, um, and but but I, you're playing against a heck of a defense in, in Penn State, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that was the one that knocked the rust off, and here he comes against, uh, you know, Eastern Michigan, and then, then the big matchup with Notre Dame. It didn't help matters after the Badgers game ended. Everyone was disappointed. Many of them may have turned on 
ABC, one of your competitors, right. to watch the Notre Dame-Florida State game. To watch a familiar face in an unfamiliar uniform put up four touchdowns, 360-plus yards of passing in Jack Cohn. How much did that amplify Graham's struggles during the week in Madison? Yeah, I just think that, you know, that certainly hyped it up. And, you know, Jack Cohn, I think, you know, there's something really you have to remind that he left on his own. And maybe he saw the writing on the wall because he got hurt. And this younger guy comes in and, you know, the the savior and quarterback in Graham Mertz and, and Jack Cohn just saw the writing on the wall and said it was time to leave. So uh, I don't fault Jack Cohn. I, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, it wasn't like, they forced him out, you know, or told him to leave. But um, so I don't really like, you know, well, if we had Jack Cohn playing, you know, like it's CW's fault for, for kicking him out. Um, but I, I just think that um, Jack Cohn was a, he was a great manager. And I think that's, you know, that that offense at Notre Dame, you know, uh, I don't know how good the defense is at uh, Florida State. So, um, you know, there was, it was a lot more open uh, hit lanes to throw in than than uh Graham Mertz did on Saturday at the camp so um yeah it, you know like it, it does stink when you see you know uh I do like that Jack Cohn was always great and you know like he very reserved and you know didn't like like most UW quarterbacks they're not gonna like um they didn't show a lot of personality he didn't you know he didn't get crazy while he was here but um nice kid and you know you wish him well and uh, except for you know a week and a half, or now two and a half weeks, when they play in Chicago. But yeah, how uh, much hype is going to be there for that? I mean, because that's gonna, that's going to be the lead up. I mean, we thought that it was going to be hyped already, but then we saw what happened last weekend. That's got to, I don't know, double it, triple it, or at least that's going to yeah. be the storyline certainly. And that's why I'm, you know, like it kind of upsets me that they lost because you know it, it was kind of you know if both those teams go into that thing undefeated, and. Uh, you know, it's really be the hype machine will be on full full blast. I mean, and maybe maybe it does help that Wisconsin lost. So there's that like you know, the thing with the Jack Cohn and John Martin that you know, um, Jack. I'm sure Jack Cohn wants to just you know shove it down Bucky's throat and and um, Graham Mertz would like nothing better than to uh, you know show Badger fans and himself that uh, you know, although you have a bad game against Penn State. Um, you continue to get better. And I will say this about Graham Mertz. He came out there. He was the first guy out of the locker room on Saturday to talk to the media and answered question after question after question. And, you know, like, you know, you just play probably your worst game of your life and he's out there answering questions and he stayed there and was very respectful and, and uh, sat through it and answered questions and, and told everybody he's going to learn from it and get better. Jocko, I want to ask you about the Badgers' offensive line on Saturday as well. There seemed to be you know, some switches here and there that Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph, they were just trying to find the right fit. Where is this offensive line right now? And Because this is that's been historically where this team's bread and butter has been. It's been opening up holes for great running backs over the years, like Melvin Gordon and James White, sure. and obviously Ron Dane, et cetera, et cetera, Jonathan Taylor. But it's also pass protection, which is a huge part of this team's offense as well. Now that you've got Pryor and Davis back, Shimmery DK, there's a lot of talent there. Ferguson, obviously, a tight end with a passing quarterback. Where is this offensive line right now? 
Yeah, that's a great question because it, you know, for as much as we blamed, uh, I should say we, you know, like other people, uh, not us. We, we don't blame people. Oh, uh, but there, we analyze. You know, we're, not, we're analyzing. We analyze. Analytics, you know, analyze all that stuff. We're analyzing, but I, I just thought that for as much as Graham Mertz was thrown into the fire for his performance, I don't think his offensive line was was terribly great. And you know, you talk about the the passing, but you know, like um, even though they got you know yards from the running backs, it wasn't like an overwhelming amount. You know, like well, they didn't do well pass rushing, but they did great for run blocking. It was kind of a I would say uh, a average, if not below average, game for the offensive line. It just didn't, they didn't seem to be, you know, I guess we're spoiled and we're used to seeing uh, the Badgers' offensive line just bowl over people, and it just they looked they looked okay, you know. And there's a lot of uh, new faces and, and things like that, so I guess like you're not really this particular line hasn't been together forever like some of the other line lines have. Um, maybe where you just change one or two guys, but. Uh, so I would say that, yeah, that, that Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris were looking for guys and trying to do some different uh, different sets of lines in there and, you know, to see what would work. And uh, I wouldn't say they had their greatest um, performance of all time. And they're certainly got to be looked at and they'll be called on to play better as well. In his late-in-the-week news conference, Paul Christ was asked about Jalen Berger and whether or not he thought that he was going to see more playing time. Well, he didn't see any last week against Penn State. Is there any clarity as to why Jalen Berger didn't see the field, and how much do you expect to see him on Saturday against Western yeah. Michigan? That's like been the surprise of uh, the camp to me. I thought, you know, like I thought Berger was going in there as the, you know, the number one running back. I, but somebody asked me the day before the. Uh, Simons came out and uh, the depth chart came out and I was like, oh, you know, who's going to start running back? And, you know, I was like, oh, I think Berger's got it. I mean, like he's coming back from a decent, you know, freshman year and he, he can, you know, I, I thought toward the end he played well too. And there were times where he got hurt. Maybe that, that kind of, you know, there's not all of, uh, you find the shocking, right? That not everything that happens during practice is reported to the media. I know, right? Shocking. Uh, yeah. Pull me over but, the feather, Jocko. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so there might be, you know, there might be, you know, obviously there's stuff that happens in practice with OCD, but, um, uh, you know, I think there, there were times that he, he's been hurt a lot um, um, in his time here at EW, and, you know, I don't know how hard he's, you know, we don't see how hard he's going out of practice, and that's not what anybody's ever said, but, you know, it just seems weird that, um, you know, two guys go ahead of him, you know, uh, in the, the depth chart and he doesn't, he doesn't even get one handoff on, on the Saturday, which was just weird because there were times, um, where the run game kind of, you know, a couple of, um, I, I don't know, a couple of series where it just, it, it seemed like out of sync. So I mean, why not try to, you know, GW's always kind of had like a three headed running back back there even when they've had great backs they've always used three guys just to kind of uh as a change of pace and burgers just got that uh you know i feel like he's got that extra gear and he's he can kind of change the look of the offense and uh just never never got on the playing field i I hope he plays i'd like to see him you know like see what he's got to add to the mix this year um you know against eastern michigan i would think that um i would hope that the badgers win by a substantial amount but and then you get a chance to see guys that maybe don't play, and then then you can't. But then again, like if you're going third string running back against the third string defense, uh, 
you know, how good, you know, how good are you going to look or how good uh, um, is that defense at the time. But I, I hope he gets some playing time on Saturday, and I hope that he so- shows up well. He's, uh, he's another good kid and certainly has a lot of talent. NBC 15 Sports Director Mike Jocko Jocks joining me earlier today. If you're listening to this before 2 o'clock on Saturday, feel free to catch my Badgers pregame show on both 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and 13.10 WIBA in Madison. I'll lead you right up until 4 o'clock before handing things off to Mike Heller, and then he'll take you right up until the kickoff, uh, of course, with Matt LePay, Mike Lucas, and Mark Tauscher on the uh, call in the booth. Patrick Herb working the sidelines at Camp Randall Stadium. We turn the page from Badgers to Packers. Green Bay naming their captains for the 2021 season this week. Three on offense, three on defense, one on special teams. Your offensive captains, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Mercedes Lewis. Your defensive captains, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, and Adrian Amos. And your special teams captain is Mason Crosby. Now, those are the captains, as voted on by the players. A bit of a surprise, maybe Zadarius Smith, who, as the announcement was tweeted out, tweeted out his own response. The text just reads, wow, with the emoji of the side eye and hand on chin as if to say, huh, that's interesting. I'm guessing that Z was not very happy about losing the C on his chest. Still, some 27 players got at least one vote for captain, according to Coach Matt LaFleur. LaFleur, his captains, and the rest of the Packers, of course, will head to Jacksonville Saturday for the season opener. But LaFleur is game planning for a much different team than the one that Drew Brees led for more than a decade. First of all, that's a really talented group and also got so much respect for Sean Payton and his staff, what they've been able to accomplish over the years. I'm I'm certain there's going to be some some differences. The biggest difference in my eyes is Jameis has a big-time arm, and he can push the ball down the field. So I'm sure there's going to be more passes down the field. Um, and then you just you don't you don't know what to account for in terms of how much they'll play Taysom Hill at quarterback. So there's there's a lot of unknowns. But I think that's you know anytime you're going up against a good good group and creative coaches that's, that's kind of always the case LaFleur also knows how stout the Saints are in the trenches especially on one side of the ball their defensive line is first of all their entire defense is one of the um, more tenacious relentless defenses in the league I mean they, they are going hard every play and they do such a great job of, of attacking the football um, up front, they're just relentless. Whether it's a drop-back pass, whether it's in the run game, they do a good job of setting edges, or in the screen game. They're, they're one of the best at running out of what we call the stack and, and chasing down screens. So we know it's going to be a great challenge. There's, there's um, you know, a lot of good players on, the, on that defense. Everybody obviously knows um, you know, 94, 92, I mean, those are two of the best in the business. But still, on the other side of the ball, the Saints have Alvin Kamara to deal with. That's no easy task for any defense. Yeah, our guys understand what type of player Alvin is. Uh, he's one of the premier backs in, in the National Football League. And what makes him so special is his ability, not only in the run game, but as a, as a receiver or out of the backfield as well. And so we showed him some clips today uh, just Again, we're going to have to be relentless on defense because this guy is very strong. He's got the ability to – he's got great vision. He's got the ability to put his foot in the ground and get vertical and 
we're going to have to gang tackle. Uh, he's going to make some guys miss. There's no doubt about it. That's what he's done his entire career, and um, I'm sure the, you know it won't change Sunday. However, what we need to do is just ensure that we have more than one guy at the point of attack. You can't win the Lombardi Trophy in September, of course, but last year's Buccaneers notwithstanding, you can put yourself behind the eight ball for a title run with a slow start to the season, even against quality opponents. Matt LaFleur knows that. No, I think it's always important. You want to start out fast, and we know that every game in this league is so valuable, so you you never want to waste an opportunity, and, and every time you get go out there and you know, it was an opportunity to come out on top, but you, you got to put the work in. You got to have a great week of prep. Our guys are going to have to do a unbelievable job of taking care of their bodies, of you know, hydrating so that we can go out there and play for four quarters because it is going to be. There's no doubt it's going to be a a tough physical football game for four quarters long, and in some elements that it's hard to replicate. Now, as far as the Packers' offense is concerned, the team hasn't had this much depth in their receivers' room in a few years. Assuming everyone stays healthy and Marquez Valdez-Scantling continues to hang on to the ball, does that mean that Aaron Rodgers may be spreading it out more? Everybody knows what Tay can do. We have a lot of confidence in those other guys as well. And, and certainly last year we played the Saints without Devontae. So um, I think every week, you, you know, it could go a different, uh, multiple different to multiple different people and teams got to decide on how they want to defend us are they going to try to leave tay one-on-one or are they going to double him and that opens up other people but certainly i think that's one of the things that you you go into every game and you got to have different ways to try to move the ball but also to get try to get everybody involved and certainly we we got a lot of confidence in, in uh, everybody all the skill positions um, on our offense, and, and it's always a challenge, which is a good challenge, to try to get everybody involved in the game. Now, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, it may seem like ancient history at this point, but he still did miss all of the team's offseason workouts. Some around the country were questioning his leadership credentials, something his head coach said this week just isn't the case at all. Oh, absolutely. He's done an outstanding job, and he's been a great leader, and um, I think he's you know he's playing at a really high level, but that that's in practice, so ultimately... All of us, all 11 on the field, have to go out there and do it collectively. And, um, you know, you never want to rest on past merits, which, which I know he doesn't. Uh, he's, he definitely put the work in, but I think he's in a really good headspace, and I think he's got the right mentality, the right mindset. Um, you know, he's been excited to come to work, and I think he's done a really good job of leading a lot of those younger players um, and, and trying to get him up to speed as fast as possible. Now, as far as Aaron himself, he was asked this week if he feels any pressure going into this season. The feel that I get with the energy in the locker room is not pressure, it's uh, focus. I think it's the right perspective and the right type of focus. Uh, we know we have a talented team. We know what the expectations are. Um, we're just focusing on accountability and holding each other accountable because regardless of what happens with any of our situations, this group will not be together the way it is now in years down the line. Which does lead to a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Uh, there is a lot of unknowns. I've talked about it various uh, various times to camp, uh, people's uh, contracts and situations uh, down the line. So the right perspective is needed, I think, for all of us. One thing that Aaron Rodgers has been effusive of is his praise of his head coach, Matt LaFleur. Yeah, I remember the first time he broke down a meeting 
he said, ready, break. And we all kind of ribbing him, teasing about that. He's so much more comfortable in his own skin as the front man, as the guy talking every single day. It's tough. It's a tough job. You know, I know it to some extent because trying to come up with something inspirational or motivational every single day can be uh, can be tough. Not want to be monotonous or cliche ridden, but I've seen him uh, continue to grow every single year. But it does appear as though there is some added uncertainty for 2022 and beyond because of the contract situation specifically, not only of Aaron Rodgers, which has been well documented, but also Devontae Adams, also well documented. Adams this week said, look, 2021 chips are in the middle of the table as far as he's concerned. We don't really know what's going to happen. So at the end of the day, you know, it's been something that Aaron and I have talked about. We try to like just have the right mindset on, you know, we out there golfing or whatever. We just say this has to be the year just because we're not going to have exactly the same team next year. And whether that's him being out here, me, Mercedes, whoever it is, you know, Marquez, whatever the situation is, it's just not going to be quite the same without all the pieces that we have now. So does he feel any added pressure because of that? I don't think so. I don't feel any pressure. It's it's really just the same thing at this point. I've been to four NFC Championship games now, and if anything, it just makes it harder winning those games and then having to go back to it. We haven't done that. So I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's just the same mentality we've been having, just going to it, do what we got to do to make sure we can win it this time. But Devontae Adams has always been someone who has goals. Legacy, um, Super Bowls, man. I mean, that's really what it's about. That's why I know I've said it to you guys before. I hold myself to a standard of having a bunch of touchdowns a bunch of yards and a bunch of catches because that's what ultimately leads to us winning games. Hopefully with uh, with me getting across that line a few times and Aaron Jones and you know the rest of the team doing their job, we'll have the Super Bowl. So I just don't want to lead this game without a ring and hopefully a couple of them. And it all starts on Sunday at Jacksonville, which in September is hot, humid, and muggy, making it all the more important that you stay hydrated, leading to this colorful description about what coaches tell their players all the time but not necessarily something that's discussed all the time in a news conference uh i I wouldn't say there's a a set amount but um certainly you know every time they pee you want it to look clear (laughs) (laughs) if you've ever used the bathroom in a team facility they have charts on the wall telling you to make sure that your urine your pee whatever you want to use whatever word you would like to use, is clear. The worst thing that an athlete can be is dehydrated. All right, it is going to be a hot, muggy day in Jacksonville. Uh, Of course, you can watch that game on Fox, Fox 6 in Milwaukee, if you will. But the Fox Network, it is their national game of the week. On another station, he'll be talking about the Packers and the Saints from Jacksonville. Had a chance to catch up with TFJ4's Lance Allen. The Super Bowl is the day before Valentine's Day this season. It's February 13th, Lance. It's I rem- the gift that keeps on giving, Dad. Come on. I, I, give your sweetie the gift of the Super Bowl. Is there too much of a good thing? Because we all love football. I love football. You love football. Everybody listening to this show, you probably wouldn't be listening to it if you didn't love football. But at some point, there was just something that was so perfect about a 16-game season. And the, what makes football special, I think, is the scarcity of football. And when you keep adding games and you lengthen the season and this has been my criticism of thursday night football and that obviously isn't going away it's been here for more than a decade now but there's no more scarcity of football when fall rolls around and to me it's just maybe a little bit less special because it is just every single day you hit the nail on the head though my friend it's not going away so when people said to me like man the preseason's too long and they got to get rid of these games and this this is terrible whatever i said well then get ready for it's still going to be 20. 16 plus 4, what was it, Doug? It's 20. I know that you and I are journalism majors and we're not math <laughs> brilliant, but 16 plus 4 was 20. 
Now it's 17 plus 3, and eventually it more than likely will be 18 plus 2. The NFL is not going to give revenue away. They still make money off preseason games. They still sell tickets, and they can make more money on a regular season game than pretty much any preseason game you trot out there. So this is the devil that we dance with. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm not saying I completely like it. But, yes, you're not putting the genie back in the bottle. So this is what we have to deal with, and I think they just have to find ways to be maybe a little more creative at this thing because, as I hinted to, you know, there are two things that are going to crop up this year. One is, yeah, you have another game where, like, the depth of your team and your bench is going to come into play. And that's why the Packers rookies, you know, and younger players, whether it's a Kylan Hill, you know, whether it's the linemen that are starting, you know, uh, uh, Stokes, you know, the Eric Stokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to come into play more and more and more because it's going to be extremely difficult for someone to play all 17 games, especially a ton of snaps in all 17 games. You're going to have to sub guys in and out. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And the other thing that's going to crop up, Doug, is how do we measure success in the NFL? Jason Garrett, for years, kept his job with the Cowboys because why? He could finish 8-8. Eight and eight. Well, now you're either going to be a winning record, 9-8, and eight, or you're going to have a losing record, 8-9. And, and I think it's going to have coach attrition. Uh, once again, whatever side you're on, good, bad, or in between, but we could see more coach turnover because if you go 8-9, and nine, you're considered a loser. 9-8, and eight, you're considered a winner. It used to be worse. It used to be back in the 70s. It was six preseason games and 14 regular season games. So, I mean, it still added up to 20. So We we dusted off some when Brett Favre was in town, and I went one-on-one with him a couple of weeks ago, Doug. You, you remember this, too. Greg Lloyd launching his entire body at Brett Favre's head and nearly, like, taking his head off, nearly decapitating him. And that was a preseason game against the Steelers <laughs> on the old turf at the old Three Rivers Stadium. Mike Holmgren, in this day and age, he would have gotten killed and crucified for that <laughs> uh final thing for is we're joined by tmj4's lance allen uh, from the preseason now granted what you saw in the preseason as far as player personnel and what you're going to see in the regular season it doesn't necessarily mesh up but what has to be better what do the packers have to improve upon when sunday hopefully if they're able to play this stupid thing uh, and another tropical storm doesn't wipe it out but if they are able to play on <laughs> sunday what do they have to do better well, offensive cohesion off the bat. You know, we, they go inside the Don Hudson Center during training camp and during practice, and you don't see what they're working on. So they obviously they're they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve. But on the flip side, the Saints, because you have un, unscouted looks, not a lot of film. You don't know. You know Jameis Winston when he was with the Buccaneers. You don't really know a lot about Jameis Winston now and what tricks they have. So the, week one, week two. You can, you can get fooled by surprises. you got to be prepared for anything and everything. I mentioned the two rookie linemen, Myers at center, Newman at right guard. They have to be on their P's and Q's. Rodgers has kind of put them on notice to say, hey, there's no grace period. you got to be ready to roll. And then the thing that I don't think has been talked about enough is the special teams' woes. And that's one thing, Doug, that we saw in the preseason. Now, they will have regulars and they will have starters playing special teams because it's that dire of a situation they you, you cannot have what happened in the preseason happen during the regular season and i know you're not showing all the, the schemes in the, in, the, in the stuff or whatever but a lot of special teams is just effort and want to and staying in your lanes 
And that can't happen because it is going to cost you at least a game during the regular season or at the worst possible time. So that has to be cleaned up. We thought maybe we were beyond this, new coach, new system, new, 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 and it seems like it's the same old problem, at least at this point. TMJ4 Bain Sports anchor Lance Allen joining me earlier this week. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Go Badgers, go Packers. We'll have a lot to talk about on Monday as we recap both games as well right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.